Kia ora and welcome to the Female Career Podcast. My name's Anna Johnston and I work as a leadership and career coach for women. I'm looking forward to sharing with you an inspiring collection of career stories of a diverse range of women of Aotearoa New Zealand. I hope that by listening to these stories, you'll feel inspired in your own career. If you do enjoy this story, please head along to our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we have lots more stories of wonderful Kiwi women and their careers. We'd also love you to subscribe to our podcast so that you have all the episodes at your fingertips. And please do tell your friends and family about it too. For now, though, I hope you enjoy listening to this career story. I'm really looking forward to speaking today with Abby Reynolds. Abby is one of New Zealand's most respected figures in sustainable business. She's currently the CEO of Predator Free 2050, the company established to help deliver the New Zealand government's ambitious goal of eradicating possums, stoats and rats by 2050. She's also chair of Westpac's Sustainability External Advisory Panel, a director of Auckland Transport and trustee for Sustainable Coastlines. Prior to her current role, she was the executive director of the Sustainable Business Council. And before that, she was the head of sustainability at Vodafone New Zealand. Abby has led sustainability and regulatory work across a number of different industries through her career, and her tireless work earned her a 2019 Women of Influence Award in the board and management category. I'm really looking forward to speaking to her today. Kia ora, Abby. Thank you very much for joining me. Kia ora, Anna. It's lovely to be here. Super. Well, the first question I'd love to, to ask you is to take you a little way back. When you were a child or when you were growing up, maybe even into your teenage years, what were you thinking about or dreaming about in terms of your career? <laughs> <laughs> it's a really good question, Anna, and I'm it, it, they're slightly embarrassing answers. So, uh, when I think the first career I remember wanting to have was to be a rally driver. My dad had a rally car and rally drove as as a hobby, and I think um, that was an aspiration around wanting to kind of be able to be more connected and spend more time with him. Uh, that, that evolved into later wanting to become a doctor, and I. I don't really recall what drove that, and I don't think either of those lasted particularly long as ambitions. And then I think I kind of went through a phase of really not knowing, being interested and curious about lots and lots of different things, but not really having a clear sense even of what my options were. You know, I ended up studying law at university because um, at the time I was making the decision, my uncle had said to me that if, if I was interested in, say, for instance, getting into television, law was a really good crossover degree. So I sort of wombled around a lot, I think, when I was young, trying to figure out what, what I might do. I like the way you're describing it, wombled around a little bit. And I think that's often how people find their way and not just in their teenage years or in their 20s, sometimes also in their 30s. It almost takes the, you have to try something out sometimes to know if it really is you, if it's a, if it's a good fit before you really um, get more clear on a direction. Yes, absolutely. And then tell me a bit about your first job or first jobs. What did you learn from those? So my first jobs were rolling ice creams at a dairy in Whangamata during the summer holidays. But my first kind of grown-up jobs were as, as a solicitor uh, when I came out of law school working at Balgully. And I think there are two things which I really clearly took from that experience. One was developed a really good attention to detail, which I think has served me really well because I'm not necessarily a complete finisher. I had uh, two partners I worked for who were really good at helping their junior solicitors make sure they got the detail right. And I think that's been really useful. So I'm grateful for that. But what it also taught me is I'm someone who likes to solve problems and I like being and working in teams. And those early years were, were quite solo efforts. So I sort of realized quite early that although I kind of enjoyed the legal work. I really 
enjoyed mostly working with other people and solving problems. So that helped me make the decision to leave the law after only a couple of years. Mm, really interesting. And as you said, actually, that recognition, what do I really like? Solving problems, working in teams. Okay, how can I find more of that? And then it was a few years in from having a brief look at LinkedIn, which can tell a lot about somebody's background and career. It seems like it was a few years in before you managed to, I guess, combine that passion for sustainability with actually your day-to-day work. Yeah, I think I'm really a product of my time, actually, when I reflect on it, Anna. So I'd been an environmentalist since I was really little. I set up uh, the paper recycling at my high school and I'd been to my first whale stranding when I was sort of 14 or 15. But I never imagined, I don't think that that could be a part of my career. It was kind of a set of values I had. But while I was living in London, the corporate social responsibility movement really started to gain ground. And I got really interested in that and made the decision while I was living there that that was something I was really interested in pursuing as a career. It's a lot harder to make sideways leaps in a really large market like London because they always want someone who's an expert and there were lots of experts around. So my husband and I made the decision to come back to New Zealand where it is easier to make sideways leaps, thankfully. And I uh, found myself with a great job in strategy at what was Telecom, now Spark. And they were starting to look at this idea of being more than about the financials. And so that was my first opportunity really to get into that space. Mm, and really interesting. But also, I think I lived myself in London for 17 years, absolutely, that you have to be quite deep and narrow sometimes in your area of expertise to be able to progress. Whereas New Zealand, yes, you're able to, as you said, maybe shift a bit more easily or you need to have a broader, more generalist set of skills to be able to thrive. I think back here again. Mm. You know, you said you'd sort of set up the paper recycling and things, that, that it had always been a real passion. It was in line with your values, the, uh, the idea and the area of sustainability. What is it about it that really spoke to you? Yeah, I've asked myself that question a lot and I'm, I'm not sure I have a particularly useful answer, but it sits really close to the soul and the centre for me. I think when it comes to kind of the conservation element of things, I'm really in love with you know, our birds and our native forests. And I feel keenly the risk of extinctions and loss. Like that brings to the surface really deep grief for me. And I feel similarly about climate change and what that will mean and what we stand to lose. And so I think there's, it's kind of a weird combination of deep awe and love for our natural environment and the joy, I guess, that that gives me and the kind of my sense of the real risks which are posed to it at the moment by human behaviour. And interesting, that's probably where that tension sits between your joy, but also the the worry, as you said, maybe the grief, the risk that that creates the impetus to, Mm. to want to work in that space. And you're kind of, I guess, career when you pushed into that sustainability space has been rather than, I guess, working from an NGO perspective, instead you've gone down the route of actually let's try to create more sustainability in the business world. I'd love to hear why you chose to go down that path. Yeah, I I fell into business. I kind of left law, got into business in the UK and and discovered it was a really good place for me, like lots of pace and lots of energy, which is how I like to work, and lots of problem solving, and lots of new ideas. And so I enjoy those aspects of working inside a business. There's lots about business, which isn't awesome, but there is lots that is great. And I really enjoyed that. And I think 
when I was starting to think about sustainability, I could see that that needed to be something that businesses were able to think about in order to continue to be able to operate into the future. I think being in sustainability is always about having a really future-facing lens, this idea sustainability is doing what we do today in a way that means that future generations can meet their needs, means you're constantly shuttling between where you live now and how the world might be in the future and trying to find ways of helping us think about and do things in the now, which means that we're creating a good future or at least a less bad future. So I think the the opportunities for business around sustainability and and particularly as it related to reputation and connecting to customers seem to me a really strong one. Like the environmental movement and social movements have really grown over the last 10, 15, 20 years as people have started to realize how, you know, how precarious some groups of people are and some environments are. And so being able to think about that as a business and as a way of kind of creating value, but also building loyalty has become critically important. And I really enjoyed the kind of opportunity to be a bit of an activist inside an organization, but also in a way which was about helping the business think about being better. And when I think about those pieces I like about business, innovation, pace, energy, problem solving, influence, the politics of it, there's so much that business can do in terms of creating a more sustainable future. It can't do all of it, but it can do quite a lot and it can lead change. And so I think that was that was why that is where I chose to focus. And because I knew business, I knew how it worked, I understood the dynamics of it. So it was a much more straightforward thing to go into a business and say, I kind of get a bit about sustainability. Let me help you think about that with a lens on understanding how the business already operated. Then it would have been going into the NGO sector and sort of saying, I know a lot about business, but nothing about the sector and I know a bit about sustainability so it was kind of a combination of a good tactical choice based on where I was at the time but also played to the things which I enjoy. Mm, a really nice description of it and almost kind of finding that sweet spot between what is good for the business and also good for sustainability and finding where those two come together is absolutely where you can start to really push forward and, and make change and equally as you said Things have changed in the last 15 to 20 years in terms of consumers and their desire to see businesses be more sustainable, which then creates impetus too. Yeah, really interesting. And then tell me a bit about your path um, that you followed to now be the CEO of Predator Free 2050. Yeah, it's a bit of a winding old path. And I guess my reflection is that I've been lucky, I think, to be able to step away from having a career and instead be someone who's kind of executing missions, if that makes sense. So mm -hmm. started off at, when I came back from the UK at Spark and Strategy Function and helped them establish their first corporate social responsibility function. And I was kind of learning by doing, there were I think three or four of us doing that kind of job in Aotearoa at the time. Did that for a bit, when I did a contract for Auckland Council, helping them think about sustainability and it was really interesting. Then I went back into telco and ended up at Vodafone and I went through sort of, I think, three different roles there. And by the time I finished, I was the head of sustainability and the Vodafone Foundation. One of the things which was super useful for me at that point, and I'm really grateful to have had, is the opportunity to intersect with the community sector and the philanthropic sectors. So the Vodafone Foundation has a big focus on rangatahi, young people. And I learned so much about the disciplines and the ways of thinking and working in an effective way with that sector. And it really that really helped. It was a really useful learning experience. And like I said, I'm grateful I had it. 
Then I went from Vodafone to the Sustainable Business Council, and I think that's when I started to make this transition from kind of being in a career into being in a series of missions, because what the Sustainable Business Council gave me the chance to do was sort of think about how to kind of catalyse movements of change around big issues. So the work I'm really proud of there was the work we did on climate change. But, you know, we really started to cock off work on the future of work. We, we had a crack at biodiversity, but probably a little bit before its time. So this opportunity to think about what what's the big change, I thought it was really important for us to be enacting in the world. Like, how do we, what are these missions that we need to really make m- movement on? So that was awesome. And then I did that for four years and membership organisations are full on and tiring. So it's a bit more of a sprint than it is a marathon. And I, at the end of that time, knew that the next kind of mission I wanted to be working on was biodiversity and conservation, that we'd kind of started to get our head around the climate crisis. Are we doing enough? No, definitely not. But that the right things are starting to fall into place that will enable us to get there. Is the same true for biodiversity? Definitely not. And particularly when I look at it through the lens of business. So for me, that was part of what prompted me to want to come and um, be the CEO at Predator Free 2050 Limited was you know, a really strong sense in which we still, um, as a nation, need to get our heads around what's going on for our biodiversity and how and what roles we might play in protecting it. Mm, mm. And really interesting to see that path. As you said, I like the way you talked about it, a series of missions rather than necessarily a clear career path or direction. And the Predator Free 2050 organisation, that is absolutely a, a big old mission. What do you really love about your, your current role, your current work? Well, I love the fact that it's really mission oriented. And I've really enjoyed the getting to know the projects that we co-fund. So part of our job is to co-fund large landscape scale projects and we've got about 20 of these all around the country and one of the things which has surprised me and delighted me has been the huge sense of ownership and engagement in this mission and local communities and how much social capital social outcomes are being created by these how much wellness we create with these people who get involved in trapping in their local neighborhood have a rat trap in their backyard and get together with their neighbors and clear trap lines or are part of the governance group these projects are really using conservation to create social outcomes and i think that's wonderful and and really makes me very optimistic actually. We're we're creating resilience and cohesive communities through this work to protect our biodiversity. And I and I think that's not always seen and so I really enjoy and appreciate that. Mm. And I think I mentioned to you the, that, that I really enjoyed watching the recent Fight for the Wild documentary or documentary series. And that sense of community came through really strongly of that it's not enough for the government to kind of say, let's do something and throw a bunch of money at it. Actually, it happens on the ground through people working together and the bonds and shared sense of mission that then they create around that. Yeah, absolutely. I Yeah, it's a, a real source of joy for me there and was really unexpected. So I pay particular attention to it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And when we spoke beforehand, you talked briefly about the fact that your career path into sustainability might look a little bit different for somebody now who might be thinking, yes, I want to pursue the the broader area of sustainability as a career. You know, tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, I, I was reflecting on it, Anna, when you invited me to be on here and 
been wondering how much of my experience is translatable now because I was really lucky, I think, and the timing was good that I was able to make a sideways jump from being someone who'd done a regulatory policy and strategy type work into a corporate responsibility role. And I, I think that would be a lot more difficult now. And part of the reason for that was back when I did that, there were like, you know, three of us doing it in the whole country in large corporates. And it didn't have kind of wasn't as central and the demand wasn't there. So it really required leading businesses to be looking at the future and saying, this is something we should invest in. That's changed a lot since I got into this, which would have been about, I think, 2008. Consumers are telling businesses pretty clearly that this is a requirement. We've got, you know, lots of new regulation coming. So, you know, businesses are having to do stuff on this front. The climate crisis is really front and centre and really real for people. So the the work and the effort has massively lifted. And so what that's meant, and I'm really grateful for this, is that there are now programs and courses and training that people can do to become sustainability professionals and lots of different types of training and courses. You know, in conservation, you might be an ecologist and business sustainability might do an MBA. Like there's lots of different ways now and different forms of development you can do to build your capability and to get into those sorts of roles. And I think that wasn't around when I started out. So I've, I've been lucky to have this kind of very haphazard approach to it and just be kind of reading the textbook two or three pages ahead of whoever I was working for. And I think that world has definitely shifted and there's this kind of enormous group of very, very capable professional young people coming into the sector now who know a lot more than I do and, you know, are all trying to find their first roles doing this in a, in a professional context. Mm, and I think you talked about a lot of what you were doing maybe was slightly at the frontier of that work and certainly here as you see from a business perspective in New Zealand and therefore you were having to do a lot of learning on the job rather than necessarily always being able to learn from others or learn from a course so that that might be, be different for, for people coming into the space these days yeah makes sense and I guess no career path no career is easy we all have our times when um, things maybe don't go so well we have some tough spots what for you have been your toughest career challenges or moments yeah there's probably been a couple and actually I would say that one of my toughest career challenges has been this role the CEO of predator free 2050 role when the board recruited me we were operating in a particular context and And that changed really quickly after I started. And this for me was a dream job. It was mission oriented and lots of aligned values. And I was really excited about what I thought I could achieve here. That shift in context meant that I was having to do work, which I don't enjoy. I'm not particularly good at. And it was really difficult to see that 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 would come to an end and so I had to make the choice about whether or not it was still the right role for me and that was probably one of the hardest decisions I've ever had to make because I kept holding on to the hope that the role would become the one that I had thought it was going to be and that the board had thought it was going to be and when I sat down and had a really kind of serious talk to myself I realized it wasn't that wasn't going to happen in the time frame I could tolerate that the type of work and the way of working was just so far from being values aligned for me that I needed to make the choice to leave and so about two months ago I resigned and so I'm finishing up in about four weeks time but that's been a really very very hard decision and and one that I've kind of kept coming back to and wondering if I keep wondering if I've made the right choice I think I have but it's it's one of those really really difficult things where yeah hope becomes 
a really difficult thing to wrangle because sometimes you have to look at these things really realistically and say, hey, you know what? It's no one's fault. The context has shifted and it might just be better for all of us if I make the choice to go and put my energy somewhere else. Mm, that sounds like a really tough decision to make. You said you part of that process for you was sitting down and having a, a sort of a good, tough conversation with yourself. What else helped you manage or cope or decide through that process? Yeah, I have learned over many years of working that it's really important to have a, a good circle of people around you that bring different perspectives and points of view. Some that know that when you ring them, that they're there to listen to your rant and and be supportive. Some that are going to give you critical feedback and help you make good decisions by challenging you. Some that'll come up with good solutions. So I'm really lucky. I've got a great circle of friends. And so I had, and I was in touch with most of them, and I had friends who were sympathetic and kind of said, for your own well-being, you need to go. I had my very challenging friends who sort of said, look, do you think you'll get, is this likely to change and ask really good kind of technical questions? And and then I kind of tested that thinking and I talked a lot to my husband. So a lot, it, was a, it was a kind of a process of having to, because these things don't come fully formed, right? Like they're, they're questions and then decisions which emerge from a set of experiences. And I think I was having to make sense of first the experience I was having, how I was feeling about them, and then what that might mean about whether this was a good role for me. And I needed to do that with other people. And so, yeah, that was my process, really. It didn't, yeah, it took a little while, but I did get there eventually. But yeah, with a lot of help. I think those processes do take a little while because they're important. Mm. They're not just simply snap decisions that you can wake up and say, oh, well, morning I've decided I'm going to do this because there's so many different factors that are involved, as you see, whether it's identity, mission, values, responsibilities that, that might um, be flowing into that decision. And thank you for sharing a bit about that process because my experience is most of us go through a point in time in our career when we're not quite sure if it is a fit and should we stay, should we go? And so sharing a bit about how you how you went through that process, I think will be really helpful for others too. So thank you. I was wondering then you kind of, I guess, leading on from that, where do you see your career now heading in the future? Yeah, I think, I think that's a really interesting question. And I think, like I said earlier, for me, it, it's more about thinking about it as a series of missions. And the question I ask myself is with the skills and network and capability I have, where is the place I can most usefully stand and have the most helpful influence on the things which kind of the missions that matter. I know that the biodiversity piece is still really critically important and so I'd like the opportunity to lend my skills to some work in that place and climate change continues to be something that we need all of our innovation and inventiveness applied to. So for me, I think I'm interested and curious about the intersection of those two, how biodiversity and natural systems and forests and waterways and things like that and the climate change intersection, how those two things are healing for each other or what our role is in healing those together rather than as separate systems. So that's kind of where my curiosity is at the moment. I've still got a bit of time left in this role, so I'm not really thinking too hard about what comes next at this stage. But yeah, that's my current orientation. And as you see, then undoubtedly there will be another mission. It's probably aligned with some of those interests or areas coming coming for you in the future. I look forward to hearing what that might be. I was wondering, Abby, that, you know, with this podcast, the majority of people who listen to it tend to be women. I was wondering if there had been for you any particular 
barriers or challenges that you might have faced as a woman in your career? Yeah, I I think I've been reasonably lucky actually in so far as I haven't had the experience of overt sexism. So I haven't felt like I've had the experience of being held back as a result of being a woman. And I and I think I've often wondered if that's one because I'm quite tall and two because I'm, you know, quite confident and chopsy. <laughs> <laughs> But what I have noticed in more recent years, one of the things I've struggled with in my past is is mental health, anxiety and depression. And the work I've done to kind of get through that's taught me a lot about how I work in the world and the patterns of behaviour which I've inherited, like unconsciously from a very young age. And a lot of these are kind of the patterns of behaviour which are imposed on women by the patriarchy and I think I speak to my female friends and lots kind of suffer from um, imposter syndrome and it's not just women but feel really lucky for that not to be in my world but those sorts of things turn up over and over for all of us I think one of the one of the things I notice over and over again is in myself the people pleasing thing which is again a very strongly socialized thing for us women not wanting to take up people's time or space, always being very thoughtful about people's time and thinking, oh, I won't send that email because so-and-so is so busy and they don't think I'm important. How we self-restrict you know, the language of sorry and just and emails. So there's so much, I think, which is not conscious, but which shapes us as women and holds us back. Well, constrains us is probably a better way of thinking about it. And because we are all mostly working in constructs which are largely male and those behaviors aren't ones which again are typically masculine it's much harder for them to see it and we're more likely to be judged for those behaviors as weak or unconfident when actually they're socialized behaviors which we're taught as very little girls I that that is increasingly the stuff get grouchy about and (laughs) which I look at and see constrains us and I think it's one of the lovely things about getting older, one of the things which has happened for me is the older I've got, the swearier I've got. And I'm interested in that because I will tolerate a fair bit of swearing from guys, but much less so from women. The double standards are everywhere. And I think what happens when you get a bit older and you're a bit more confident and and you're a bit more sure that you will land another job despite the fact that you are quite sweary, yeah, it makes you prepare to play with some of those socialised constructs a bit more. So I guess, you know, I reflect on that a fair bit and and I wish when I was younger I'd been having more of these conversations with my female friends that, that we'd had the opportunity to bring more of this stuff into consciousness and wonder about how it serves us, whether we find it useful or not and how and what opportunities we might have to do, try doing some things differently. I mean, I don't think we can drop all of it instantly because there's still a strong social and patriarchal construct which holds it in place but I do think there's more opportunity for us to question some of that stuff and pay attention to it so that's I think that's a lot of how it's sort of turned up for me noticing my over concern for other people's well-being yeah and then and then what I also want to say though is that some of those things are what may has have made me a successful leader like I'm more capable, I think, of compassion than a lot of the male leaders I've worked with. I think more carefully about what's going on for other people. I care about their feelings. Um, And I'm not saying men don't, but I just think that's a more socialised aspect of being a woman in the working world. So these things can both be, they've got a sun side and a shadow side, but I think it's the consciousness of them that really is important. And so if I had a piece of advice for um, any 
young women or even older women listening to this, it's to, it's to wonder about some of those constraints, which we don't choose. They're, they're socialised and to wonder about how we might play with them. And yeah, when they are a sun, when they offer us the sun side and when they offer us the shadow side, because once you're aware of them, you've got choices. So that's, mm. that's the stuff that I sort of get very interested in. It's fascinating for me because that's certainly been my experience as well. I really like the way you talked about it, bringing into consciousness some of that. So questioning, is it helpful? Is it useful? Is it serving me? Being curious about what's kind of showing up for you and where it might be coming from. And I hear so much feedback about women, but also women internalising for themselves about not being confident. Whereas actually how much is that? Is either the, the system, the organisation is not set up for them to be themselves or equally how much is it that so much of that is socialized around needing to please need to as you say check with people's feelings not wanting to offend just being kind of that good girl the nice the nice girl coming through yeah yeah yeah. that I can certainly re- recognize a lot of that myself through my career but also nice to hear and I've heard that through a number of different women that actually as you do get a wee bit older you care a little bit less or are able to just kind of to to go for it to be yourself a little bit a little bit more as well Mm. yeah I'm I I do think that's one of the things I am enjoying I'm a little bit more unleashed and and it's it does feel useful because you're standing much more in your center of power when you're um, operating in that way and I really want to talk about what you see to Anna about organizations it's like we do create these organizations which are yeah, we sort of expect the woman to change and that makes me really grouchy as well. It's sort of like, actually, why don't we create a construct where everyone can feel safe and capable of contributing? Because as soon as you start looking under the lid, it's not just about women, it's about people of colour, it's about people from different, who've got any kind of difference. I think it's all of our work to try and make our workplaces places where everyone has the opportunity to thrive and contribute because we'll all just be better if that's the case. But while we have this really unconscious kind of patriarchal, very white kind of dominance in terms of thinking, then we're not getting the benefit of all of this wonderful creativity which is coming in into our workplaces now. And it's not easy for people who who are different because if you're the only one raising a different view or coming from a different perspective, mm. chances are you'll you you may well be shut down or you may end up kind of thinking, oh, it's just it's only me thinking like this, so I'll just stay a little bit quiet. Whereas if there are a few more people who feel able to bring out a wide range of different perspectives, and all of a sudden, as you said, that makes more people safe to feel safe to do that, but mm. it also absolutely creates creativity and innovation and challenge and, and who knows what in terms of um, what might emerge from that. Yeah, super point. And we've talked, Abby, about some of the tough things that you've maybe felt or experienced or been through in your career. Flip that round, I guess, what have been some of your proudest moments in your career? Yeah, I think I'm really proud of the work and the team I built at the Sustainable Business Council. I think we were a small but really effective team. And I think we were able to create really some significant impact around how businesses were thinking about climate change. I was one of the architects of, or probably the key architect of the Climate Leaders Coalition, which was really trying to create a movement of change for leading businesses to create just a new centre of gravity on climate change. Climate change from a business perspective had been kind of way down the list of concerns and treated as a cost and a potential regulatory impost. And what we were trying to do was to get it onto CEO's agenda and say, look, this is really serious there's a bunch of risk that needs to be addressed but also quite a lot of opportunity and how do we get it up their radar and also kind of get 
business to go, hey, this is serious and government, we need you to be acting as well. And, I, and I'm really proud of the work that we did to get to that place. So that for me is something I'm really proud of. And one of the things I'm also proud of is I was part of working with a team in the UK that, and it's where I really learned to notice and um, be interested in influence and empower and how that turns up in context. But I was part of the team there that worked on getting British Telecom BT separated, well, kind of a, a separation between its lines business and its retail business. And that was a really you know, long-term interesting piece of work around influence and creating a case for quite significant change because it had a huge impact. So I'm proud of that too because that was such a, well, really steep learning curve but also a really interesting thing to have been involved in. Mm, nice. And I, I, that sense of the team that you, you talked about almost from your very first role, recognising that was where you were at your best mm. in the Zin teams. That obviously, that came through then as your, your proudest moment. But also, as you said, creating that case for change, that influence has obviously those skills have served you well mm. through the, the later years of your career. Yeah, And I'm really conscious, as you said, a lot of your more recent roles have been very mission-driven, strong purpose, as much as possible sort of aligned with your values. Sometimes the challenge with that is that um, they become a bit all-consuming because they're such a passion for you. How do you find balance between your working life and your broader life? I'm absolutely awful at it. I'm not great at it either, by the way. So it's not that I've got a perfect answer. No, I, my husband regularly laughs at me about my lack of hobbies. I, you're right. Like I think when I do think this is one of the really big challenges for people who are really mission led is that you kind of can't put the work down because it's so deeply hooked into your soul. Like there isn't a kind of sense in which you can say, oh, this intellectual endeavor is over for the day. I, my brain keeps churning away at solutions when I get home. So for me, part of balance is about what are the really good disciplines I need to put in place in order to maintain my well-being. So I've been pretty good over the last year or two about making, making sure I've got close to daily meditation practice and regular exercise and making sure I build time in to connect with friends and with my husband. But yeah, when when it feels really big, I know I can kind of disappear into a bit of a cave. I've also learned that I'm someone who does sprint and doesn't marathon. So I do have to think about roles as I think about them as sprints and then having to think about, you know, or as projects, like it's not an endless thing. It's a what's, what am I doing for this period of time? And then how do I rest? So I think, yeah, I, I wish I was better at balance, Anna, but all my experiences have told me that it's something I have to constantly work at. And yeah, I kind of wish that wasn't the case, but yeah, it is. And I think that balance is a funny one, isn't it? Because it's totally personal, whatever balance means to you. And that I find most people do have to work at it, whereas somehow we sort of assume that it should be easy, but also almost finding your own way. So for you, balance is, yes, making sure you do a bit of daily meditation, recognising it's a sprint and you need time to recharge. And those are things that are all helpful for, for you to maintain your own balance. You know, everybody's different in terms of what works for them. Yeah. Mm. And one last question I'd have for you, Abby. You talked briefly about, I guess, kind of specific career advice maybe for people in sustainability and then more broader career advice for women in terms of being a bit curious about the constraints that may have been imposed on them. What other career advice might you have for women? Mm. Build your network and start building it young. And when I say build a network, like how I think about networking is I meet people I'm, I find interesting and I like and I find reasons to have coffees with them and stay in touch. Like networking in my mind is about forming some forming connections with people who you think are interesting and you might learn something from rather than it being a kind of transactional thing. And because I think good networks of people you can trust and use to help you think through things, but also who you can use to help solve problems where it's like, 
one of the things which has which gave me the confidence to take on a CEO role actually is was less about my own skills and more about the fact that I knew that I had enough people in my network that I could call and say I've got this issue and that I'd get great advice that was a really big source of my confidence about saying yes to <laughs> a role like that so you know that the relationships you have with people who you surround yourself with matter my other piece of career advice would be start talking to other women about the experiences you're having I've been I've been a bit horrified by how much we all have in common and having only discovered that reasonably late in my career like I really wish I'd had more of these sorts of conversations with my fellow solicitors when I was at Balgali or with other women I worked with when I was in the UK there is so much in the idea that we have these shared experiences and shared opportunities to think about uh, you know how we can support each other, but also how we can do things a little bit differently. I I think that's all in terms of career advice because I, I think our world is changing so much now that how we navigated the past is not going to be how we navigate the future. And when I think about the transformations, which will be driven by a changing climate and our need to reduce our climate emissions, the changes that will be driven by the you know, needing to protect our biodiversity. All of these things are going to profoundly change the shape of our communities, our cities, our lives and our work. And I think when I think about the future, I think it's about kind of being able to anticipate what that future is going to look like and starting to bring that into your thinking and your work. Great advice in terms of networks. As you said, not thinking about it as a transactional thing, but, you know, what can I learn and how can we solve problems together? As well as the that I would agree when, when I was in my 20s, I didn't talk much to other women about our experiences, but the more you do, as you said, the more you feel you have in common, but also you get strength in that community to feel maybe you can make a change. And that, that last piece about that future orientation and thinking, well, what might be in the future? How might that influence me in my career? What might I need to be shifting now to make sure that I'm I'm adaptable? It is is a really good piece of advice. Well, and I can as well, and I can see from your perspective as you've been operating in that sustainability space, which is very future focused, how you can also apply some of that discipline to um, your own career as well. Abby, it's been such a pleasure to speak to you today and thank you for your openness and honesty about some of the challenges that you faced and your reflections on those. But also it's been wonderful to hear your kind of your passion and missions coming through and how those have come to life through your career. So I really appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you, Anna, for having me. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Female Career Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more inspiring stories of women of Aotearoa and their careers, subscribe to the Female Career Podcast via Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you like to listen so that you never miss a story. You can also take a look at our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we feature the stories. And if you subscribe to our mailing list, you can have career advice and inspiration delivered directly to your inbox. Thanks for your support, and I look forward to you joining us again soon.